Hey, welcome to the Capital City Christian Podcast and to our series study through the book of 1 John, a verse-by-verse study through this great letter written by the Apostle John. So grab a Bible, grab a notepad, and let's dive in together. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to our Tuesday study. We are so glad that you have joined us today, and uh, we are thankful that you're here. Hope your week is going uh, well. I um, I hope that uh, <laughs> you are staying safe, you are staying healthy. I am glad that you are here. Hey, welcome to our study through First uh, John, First, Second, Third John. We have been in First uh, John um, for a couple weeks now, and so I would love for you to grab your fancy glass wherever you may be. And uh, today, my fancy glass is filled with cherry Sprite. Cherry Sprite. Have you ever had cherry Sprite? Oh uh, yeah, it's really, really good. So, grab your fancy glass. Grab your Bible, grab a notepad, and uh, we are going to dive in today as we continue in 1 John uh, chapter uh, 1. Um, last week, if you joined us, um, we've been uh, talking through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Um, last week, we looked at the introduction. If you see right over here, um, our intro verses uh, 1 through 4 of 1st John chapter 1, um, we began to discuss a little bit of what John was getting at um, and really what he is trying to accomplish as he's writing this letter. Um, and so if you were here last week, um, you can catch that on Facebook. You can rewatch it if you weren't here um, last week. But uh, as we looked at 1 John chapter 1, the first four verses, the, the main thesis that John puts right into our face is that Jesus was both eternal so divine and human. And he was both of those things 100%. That belief or that doctrine, that theology is what was causing some division within the church during those days. And so John is writing to address a specific problem, a specific division that was happening within um, the kind of the network of house churches during this time. Um, if you look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, they went out from us. So John is talking about some a group of people who are causing division, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so they would be shown that they are not of us. So there was a group of people causing division. That's why he wrote this, um, this letter. Today we're going to spend uh, 20 to 30 minutes um, looking at three verses from 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at 5, 6, and 7. I hope you have something to take notes with. We're going to look at a lot of different scripture verses, and we're going to walk through um, these verse by verse as we look at these three verses. If you have questions, you can throw them into the comments. Um, if you uh, ha have certain comments or you just think of something or something, uh, scripture comes to your mind, share it with everybody who is um, online watching with us today. So today, we're going to look at uh, verses 5, 6, and 7 of 1 John. So if you have your Bible, if you have a notepad, if you have your fancy glass, we should be ready to rock and roll. I'm going to start reading from 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read all the way through verse 7 so we can kind of get the full context of what John is saying. Let's dive in. 1 John chapter 1 says, What was from the beginning, 
What we have what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have now seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has been manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made made complete. That's the introduction. That's what we looked at last week. Today, we're going to look at these verses. Verse 5. This, John says, is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. First John chapter five, uh, excuse me, verse uh, John chapter one, five, six, and seven. Today, we're going to take about 20 to 30 minutes and we're going to dive into these three verses. Um, and again, I'd love for you to take notes. If you have questions, you can put them in the comment section um, and I'll either get to them right now live as they come up or we'll get to them next week as we continue in this study. So if you got your Bible, if you got your fancy glass, if you got your notebook, we are ready. Let's look at these great, great verses um, that John gives to us. So let's dive into verse five. Now up here on the board right here, you can see verse five, verse six, verse seven. And next to those are just some cross-reference verses that I'm going to be reading. Um, That way uh, you you can uh, look at those and write them down. Um, I'm gonna read through them pretty quickly, but those are gonna be some cross-reference verses that help us understand what John is uh, getting at here. So here we go, verse five. John begins verse five saying, this is the message. This is the message that we have heard. Now, remember verse uh, week one, we said that there are two times in 1 John that he uses this phrase for this is the message. We actually highlighted them on our intro. You have chapter one, verse five, which we're reading right now, but also chapter three, verse 11. And that phrase, this is the message, indicates to us, it's kind of this little textual clue that John is starting a new thought. And so here, John is, is giving us this idea that here's this new thought. This is the message. And then once we get down to chapter three, verse 11, the same exact phrase is used as he uh, kind of brings us into another idea. So he says, this is the message we have heard. And the we that he's referring to is himself and the other eyewitnesses to the accounts of the life of Jesus. And he said, we've heard this, okay? He is reflecting, um, uh, this reflects his vivid kind of recurring term relating to the uh, the physical senses. If you we just read chapters uh, 1 verse 1 through 4, the things that we've heard and seen and we've looked at and we've touched. He's he's saying that I John, I I was with Jesus physically. I was in Jesus's presence. I listened to Jesus's teaching sessions and and what I am doing is I am passing on not my own revelation, but I'm passing on the revelation of Jesus the Messiah himself. We heard him with our own ears. We saw him, we felt him, we touched him. John's saying, I was there, I was an eyewitness. And then he says, this is the message that we have heard from him. Now that him is very important because this is the only pronoun that is used in the entire chapter and it always refers to Jesus in this chapter. 
So who's, who's the him? The him is Jesus, okay? And so when it says this is the message we've heard from him, he's speaking of Jesus and he's speaking of the mission of Jesus that Jesus came to reveal to us the Father. Um, if you look at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and in the closest relationship with the Father, and he has made him known. So Jesus has made God known to us. This is one of the reasons why Jesus came to the earth. In fact, right here in 1 John, if you want to write this note down, this is kind of a side note, right here in 1 John chapter 1, theologically, these verses reveal to us the three purposes for why Jesus came to the world. The three purposes why Jesus came to the world. Number one, right here in verse 5, to reveal to us God. That's why Jesus came, to reveal to us the Father. The second reason that Jesus came into the world is to give an example to those who would follow after him, to, be an, to, to set an example for you and me, for those who would place faith in Jesus, who would follow after Jesus. We read that in chapter 1, verse 7, and we're going to get to that in a moment. And then thirdly, Jesus came to die on uh, mankind's behalf for the sins of the world. We're going to look at that in verse 7 as well. In these three verses, we see the primary theological reasons why Jesus came to the world, to reveal to us God, to give us as followers an example to follow, and then to die uh, for the sins of the entire world. And so, so that's the person we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus with this uh, in this word right here, the word him. So John says, this is the message that we have heard from him. And he says, and we announce to you, we're proclaiming this to you. That word announce in the Greek is the same Greek word where we get the word angel from, euanglion. It's this concept of the angels. When they show up, they come to pronounce a message. They come to declare something. And that's what's happening here. John is saying, we're like, we're like angels. We are like messengers. We are announcing to you this message that we have heard. And here is the message that they heard. So, so awesome. The end of verse five, God is light. God is light. The word light here in the Greek is the Greek word phos, where we get um, the word photo from, photograph uh, from. This is, this is emphasizing what I would call the, the revelatory and ethical aspects of God's nature. What is God's nature like? This, this chapter gives us an insight into that question. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 16. It's speaking about God. It says, God, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor forever and ever. Amen. God lives in unapproachable light. God is Light. James chapter 1 verse 17 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. God is light. 
Now, when you look at the scripture and you look in the Old Testament, light was a common metaphor in the Old Testament for God's perfection, for, for his character and for his being. Now, remember, John is writing to a primarily Jewish audience, and so they would have thought of this, this, this metaphor, this Old Testament metaphor that John may be alluding to. Look at Psalms chapter 4, verse 6. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine upon us. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. So this idea that God is light has something to do with the uh, purity and the ethics and the character of God. Now, in these days when John was writing, um, the Gnostic false teachers taught that light only referred to knowledge, okay? Now, when I say Gnostics or the word Gnosticism, um, Gnosticism was a heresy during um, this time that John was writing, which emphasized the idea of hidden knowledge and the idea that people are fallen spirits trapped in material bodies. Um, the word Gnostic or Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which simply means knowledge or to know. And, and what the Gnostic teachers taught was that knowledge is not intellectual, but it's mythical, and it comes through some sort of special revelation by Jesus, who is the Redeemer. And, and the secret knowledge reveals to us the keys to salvation, and it clashed with early Christian doctrine, um, even as early as when John is writing. Um, Gnostic false teachers, they were the ones who were causing division in the churches that John is writing to, and they asserted that light only referred to knowledge, and not just intellectually knowing things, but like this kind of mythical knowledge that comes from special revelation, like you have to receive a special revelation from Jesus. Now, John here asserts that, that this concept of light is not just about knowledge, but it refers to ethical purity. When we say God is, is light, we're talking about his holiness. We're talking about his goodness. And in a moment, John is going to contrast light with, with darkness. And, and, and when you're talking about darkness, you're talking about wickedness and, and, and sinfulness. Now, I want us to think really quickly. Think about um, God being light. Think about that concept. I don't want to brush past it because light is something that we all have. Electricity is something that we've never, ever lived without and we often take for granted. But just think about it for, for a moment. Think about the concept of light. Light is, it's not static, but it's moving. Light, light is an energy. Let me take you back to um, middle school for just a moment, all right? Light is powerful, right? It is fast. Light is super, super fast. 186,000 miles per second. That's how fast um, light is. 660 million miles per hour. That, that is a fascinating, fascinating amount of speed. Seven and a half times around the earth in one second light can travel. That's how fast and powerful light is. God is fast. God is powerful. He can move in the life of people just like that, unexpectedly, quickly. God is not static. God is moving. God is not fixed. Like light, God is powerful. Not only is light powerful, but secondly, light is pure. 
There's a purity to light. Light, we know, it represents goodness. It represents um, righteousness. It represents purity. Darkness, in contrast, represents evil and, and wickedness. That's why Satan is called the prince of darkness, the prince of, of darkness. Light reveals things. Darkness conceals things. God is pure. God is truth. We live in a world that is broken and fallen. We, need a, we live in a world in need of the light of God, the goodness of God. When we think God is light, these are the things we need to be thinking about. Not only is light powerful, not only is pure, but light is purposeful. Light has a purpose. It illuminates so that we can see where to go, right? Light gives way to sight. Um, all color is derived from light. Every color that you see, every beauty that you see is derived from God because God is light. Light changes everything. Um, when Thomas Edison, who's one of my dad's favorite, favorite um, inventors, um, my dad was a science teacher. Um, when Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, it not only changed families' homes, it not only changed um, our lives uh, in our homes, but it transformed the economy because now people could work later into the day and it could be more efficient and brand new industries were started because of light. Light has a very, very strategic uh, purpose. Thinking of God as light is a powerful way to think about God. And then what John does is he contrasts light with darkness. He contrasts it with darkness. I need to take one moment because I feel a sneeze coming on. You ever feel like there's a sneeze coming on on you? Maybe it's not. All right, I think I'll power through. Maybe it'll come back. We'll see. But, but what John does is he contrasts light with darkness. He says that God is light and in him there is no darkness. In the Greek language, this is a double negative, meaning there's this extra emphasis that God has nothing to do with darkness. It's an assertion of the unchanging character of God. Remember James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. And here, light is used as this metaphor for purity, Darkness is used as this metaphor for sin and wickedness. So, so John is revealing to us part of the character of God. Now, jump down to verse 6. He continues to say this. John says, if we say, now that word if is important. Okay, don't overlook it because there's only two letters. That word if means that this is a conditional sentence. And I think what John is referring to, because he does this all throughout 1 John, is I think he's referring to the claims of the false teachers. So he says, if we say, basically saying there are people, false teachers, there are people who are anti-Christ that are saying something. I think those are the people who he's referring to. He says, if we say that we have fellowship. Now, that word fellowship is shown up multiple times here in chapter 1. Verse 3, it shows up, uh, and here in verse 6, we see it showing up. He's saying um, the, the deceivers, the false teachers, are claiming that they have fellowship with God that is based off of their, their knowledge only, the knowledge that they have had special, specially revealed to them. Um, this concept, again, of, of knowledge and knowledge being something of a mythical revelation, that was something that was an aspect in Greek philosophy, and it, was, it began with Plato and passed down, um, and here John is kind of, kind of combating that idea. 
And John asserts that Christians, no, the, the, the concept of, of being in fellowship with God means something really, really important. It means not simply that you know something, but it means that you live a certain way, that you live in a Christ-like manner. We're going to see that show up in a moment. He says, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness. So we, if we say one thing, that we have fellowship with God, and, and, and then we walk in the darkness. That that word "walk" is the Greek word for behave. It's, it's our actions. It's what we it's what we do. It is a it is a present active word, meaning that it's a continuous thing. We we, we walk in the darkness. That walking all throughout the New Testament has to do with your manner of living. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter four verse one would say this: "As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy. Live a life worthy." Is that same phrase uh, that John uses here for walk? Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Paul says, "God is light." And those who have fellowship with God live like God. Those who have fellowship with God and his son, Jesus Christ, live like Jesus. We are called to be holy and pure the way that God is holy and pure because God is light. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says this, But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do, for it is written. And then Peter quotes from the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 11, Be holy, for I am holy. We live like Jesus lived. And the goal of following God and having fellowship with God and his son is to be like Jesus. It's Christ-likeness. That's the goal of being in fellowship with God. And John is saying, if you claim to have fellowship with God, but you're not growing in your Christ-likeness, then there's something wrong there. There's something wrong that's, that's happening. Um, here's another verse that shows us uh, about how our goal is Christ-likeness. And, and uh, this is a verse that's used often, I think often out of context, but Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, a really well-known verse. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I think a lot of people take this out of context because they say, listen, and it, you know, certain things are happening. Well, that's God working for the good, and, and, and God will work for your good. And if you think a lot of people use the prosperity gospel utilizes this, saying that God will work for your good, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll, you know, everything will kind of go your way. But you, we have to ask the question, what is our good? God works for our good. Who gets to determine what our good is? Is it us or is it God? Or is there some kind of overarching idea of what is our best good? And if we ask the, the question, what is our best good? The, the verse gives us the answer. If we keep reading, we stop often at verse 28, but we have to go to verse 29 and look what verse 29 says. Verse 28, Paul says, God works for the good of those who love him. And then verse 29 says this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what's the answer to the question, what is our greatest good? Our greatest good is to become more like Jesus. Our greatest good is to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And so whatever happens, God can use it for good because it can be used to help you transform into the image of Jesus. That is what we're all, that's our goal as, as followers of Christ, is, is Christ-likeness. And John says there are people who say they have fellowship with God and his son, but they're walking in the darkness. And here's what he says. If you claim that, if you claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, you are a liar. You lie. 
John calls these types of religious people out and he calls them liars. And he calls uh, them liars often in this letter, as we'll see as we walk through over the next couple of weeks. He says, if you walk in the darkness, yet claim to have fellowship with God and his son Jesus, you lie because your lifestyle and your actions truly reveal what's inside of your heart. And he says, you lie and you do not practice or you do not live out the truth. Now, next week, we're going to do a special study on the word truth and how John uses it in um, this letter. But I want you to remember, again, that the style of 1 John is, and we talked about this in week one, is that what John does is he, he has picked just a couple of themes and he amplifies those themes and he talks about those themes over and over again. And we talked about it. Those themes are life and uh, light and truth and love. And he goes over and over and he, and he cycles around those themes and he, and he repeats himself and he uses hyperbole and he uses stark contrast. And we see that here, light and darkness, love and hate, truth and lies. And so we see this kind of the way that John is writing this letter. We see it kind of unfolding here. Now look at verse seven, this last verse we'll look at. Uh, verse seven, John says, but if we walk in the light, another conditional sentence, if we walk in the light, in contrast to walking in the darkness, right? What John is doing, he's saying, listen, notice here how, how truth and walking in the light, they're all related to the Christian life. They're all related to your life in Christ. Truth is not simply something you know, it's something that you live you walk in truth. You walk in the light. He said, as he himself is in the light, speaking of God, speaking of Jesus, believers are to think and to live like God. We reflect God's character to a lost world. He says, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's that term fellowship again, the Greek word koinonia. We see it in verse three. We see it in verse six. It means a joint participation between two people. And Christianity is based on believers sharing Jesus's life. If we accept his life, if we accept his forgiveness, then we must accept the ministry of love that Jesus is calling us into. Turn the page really quickly to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, but notice how similar John 3.16 in the gospel and 1 John 3.16 are. 1 John 3.16 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Knowing God is not an abstract truth but fellowship and godly living. The goal of Christianity is, is not simply heaven when we die, but the goal of Christianity is Christ-likeness right now, right where we are. The goal of Christianity is, is Christ-like community right now, right where we are. Now, the Gnostics in John's day, they, they had a tendency to lean toward exclusivism. Now, how much do I know? What's been revealed to me apart from what's been revealed to you. However, if somebody is rightly related to God, he will be rightly related to his fellow believer, to fellow Christians. And a lack of love toward other Christians is a glaring sign of a problem with our relationship to God. And John is alluding that as he says, we have fellowship with one another. 
you, you're imitating God, you're going to have intimate fellowship with one another. And it is so, so important. He goes on to say this, not only um, will we uh, have fellowship with him, uh, with one another, he says, but, and also the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse us from all sin. The blood of Jesus, referring to the sacrificial uh, death of Jesus on the cross. This is a, a verse that alludes to the thrust of what John the Baptist said in John uh, chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist says, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the innocent dying on behalf of the guilty. So John is, is using these, these, these phrases, alluding to things that Jewish uh, readers would have also known, but he's also uh, subliminally attacking the, the false teachers in his day because he specifically uses the, the word blood. And if you think about it, John's use of the word blood simply reinforces Jesus's humanity, that Jesus was human. And that's what the deceivers and the Gnostics denied during that day, that Jesus wasn't fully human and fully divine. So, so he, he kind of has a subliminal um, hit toward the false teachers of those days. He says that the blood of Jesus, um, that you will, uh, the blood of Jesus' the son will cleanse us from all sin, will cleanse us from all sin. Now, here's the interesting thing about that phrase, cleanse us from all sin. It is in what is called the present active phrase. And so what that means is that it's not a one-time cleansing, which it was salvation. We, we, we talk about Jesus's act as, as a one-time act, you know, the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus that offered salvation to the world. That's not what John is referring to here. He's referring to the ongoing cleansing that we participate in every day as believers, part of our Christian life. And both are super important aspects to the Christian experience. And we're going to talk a little bit more um, about that next week. So John writes these incredible verses about how God is light and in him there's no darkness. And if we say we have fellowship with God, but we walk in the darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we um, walk in the light, as, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, these verses sound very similar to me uh, to John chapter three, the gospel. And I wanna read a couple of verses from John chapter three. We all know John three 16. I'm gonna start there, but it's the verses after that often don't get as much attention, but they sound similar to what John is saying here. Look at John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Can you say amen right where you're sitting? Man, I'm so thankful for that. And then John says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Jesus is light. But people love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Light reveals, darkness conceals. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly and what they have done has been done in the sight of God. See, here's the question. Are we walking in the light? Are we walking in the light? We're going to talk a little bit more next week about what that really, really means because John is going to expound upon that. Right now, he's just giving us this idea, this big picture. God is light, and we need to walk in the light. Are we walking 
in the light. Now, I want to close really quickly. I just want to preach for a moment, if that's okay. Okay, I want to preach for a moment. I got three, three quick thoughts that we need to make sure that we understand. Okay, number one, and we've already talked about this. God, God is light. God is light. We just read that, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. The second thing that we know we can say is Jesus, Jesus is light. Okay, we know Jesus is light. Hebrews chapter 1 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So we know Jesus is light. John chapter 8 verse 12, when Jesus speaks to the people, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So God is light. Jesus is light. And Jesus being in the exact representation of God, he is the light. And he came to this world to show us the light of God. But the amazing thing is as Jesus walked on this world and before he returned to heaven, to the right hand of God, Jesus passed the light to you and to me. We are light. You and me. We are light. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. Um, Jesus said this incredible, incredible words. He said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. To which the people who were listening said, wait, 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 Jesus, are you sure that we are the light? Like we're nothing. Okay, this is the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, these were the people who were the, the outcasts. They were the marginalized. They were the people who did not have the influence. And Jesus looks at them and says, you are the light of the world. And, and they're like, wait a minute, we're ordinary people. And Jesus is, is saying, no, no, no. You, right where you are, you are the light of the world. God's agenda has now changed. And through you, the world will know what God is up to. And so here's what I want you to hear today. As we think about God being light. Jesus being light. I want you to know that you are the light of the world. When you go to your workplaces, you are the light of the world. When you go into uh, your classrooms, you are the light of the world. We're going to get back. We're going to get out into the community. We're going to be released from quarantine soon. When we get back out and we're around people, we have to remember we're the light of the world, but you are the light of the world right, right where you are within your family. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And then Jesus said this phrase, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. God has positioned you perfectly right where you are to be the light of the world. Just think about that. Think about that. Right where you are, God wants you to be and God wants you to reflect his light. Jesus said, you are strategically placed right where you need to be in this moment to draw somebody to the light of God. And so here's the question I want you to ask yourself right now. Who is that person that God has put in my path that he wants me to shine light on? Who's the person that God wants me to draw to the light of God? because that's who we are, because that is who God is. I just want you to imagine with me for a moment that every believer, and every follower of Jesus truly realized, I am the light of the world. I hope you know that, and I hope you 
believe that. Next week when we gather together, we're going to dive more into that reality of what does it mean to be the light of the world. We're going to do a special um, topical study on the way that John uses the word truth. And uh, next week we're going to pick up in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. You can uh, read ahead if you would like and uh, do a little study of your own. I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on that. Remember, God is light and Jesus is light because Jesus is God. But it doesn't just stay there. Jesus came and he said, you, if you follow me, you are the light of the world. How are you being the light of the world in your life today? Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you join us next week um, as we continue this study in uh, 1 John. Have a great, great Tuesday afternoon and evening, everybody. And I will see you back here next week. See you later. We hope this content serves as a catalyst towards spiritual growth in your own life. If you want to support this podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share it. This helps create more exposure and allows us to include as many people as possible into this community. Thanks for joining us and for being a part of the Capital City Christian Podcast.